This is the third week in our short message series that Reverend Ken and I are preaching in the season that's known in the Christian calendar as Advent. The season of waiting, which is, you know, not like Christmas season or Easter season, right? It's like a season that's a pre-season for something else. And so it can be hard to know how to feel about it. This four-week span between the big major holidays that we celebrate here in America, Thanksgiving and Christmas, the time of year we refer to as the holidays, it brings up a lot of anticipation, sometimes worry, sometimes anxiety. And Advent is a time that's designed to let us sink into that. It says, yes, you're waiting for something to happen, so be waiting. Be noticing what's happening as you wait. And so the sounds of the season are our chance to notice some of what's going on in our hearts and in our world and in our heads and in our bodies right now. As I thought about what I wanted to talk about this morning and talk with you all this morning, I remembered this song that we just did, Lean In, that the band just did, Lean In Toward the Light. They played it for the first time sometime last month in November. And we try new songs from time to time at Wellsprings, and we see how they go. Let's do a little, uh, let's play Roman Emperor for a minute here. How many of you, how do you feel about that song? Thumbs up, sideways, thumbs down. That's a lot of thumbs ups. You can be, that's okay, you can be honest. Good, good. That's how I felt, too. The first time I heard it, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that's a Wellsprings song. It just fits. I'll give you a hint. Usually I'm standing in the back looking to see how many people are dancing, and that's a big (laughs) clue for me. So if you really love a song and you want to see it again, you better dance, right? You'll throw me off completely if you're just going crazy. This song really spoke to me this week in particular because I see it as a song about hope, not a song necessarily about things going well, but a song about that calling to hope when things are dark, when the light might seem far away and not quite right where we are. And I feel a little vulnerable admitting this to you all because it kind of seems like it should be in a minister's job description (laughs) to be hopeful. But I'm not a very hopeful person. I don't think I'm very good at hope. Maybe if I'm less globalizing about myself, I would say I'm, I'm not in the habit let's put it that way, of being hopeful. It's not a habit that comes easily to me. I am an optimist. I'm actually a huge optimist, which I think is very different than being hopeful. An optimist takes a look at what's happening, takes a look at the data around them, takes a look at the situation, and crafts an interpretation of that data that presents what's going to happen in the best possible light, right? It's all based in what we see out there and what we see around us. I'll give you an example of this. I have a good friend who has a boyfriend who currently lives on the other side of the country. He lives on the West Coast. But he's about to pick up and move in with her. Big step. He lives with a whole bunch of roommates right now. And when he moves across the country to live with her, it'll just be the two of them. She has a job where she works long hours, And she was talking to me about this the other day, saying, you know, I'm really worried that when he gets here, he'll be lonely. He won't have all those people around anymore. And I said, yeah, you have two cats, though, so he can hang out with them. (laughs) 
that much. <laughs> Sometimes optimists can be kind of annoying, I think, it turns out, right? Hope is different than that. I don't know if any of you know who this man is right here. His name is Václav Havel. He knows a lot about what hope really means. He was born in Prague in the former Czechoslovakia in 1936. A couple of you in this room may have been alive at that time, but I was not. He came of age in a place and a time that was very different than anything I've ever known. He grew up and became an adult, a playwright, a writer, eventually a political dissident. During the time that the former Czechoslovakia was under Soviet control after World War II. And because of that influence of Soviet Russia, he lived through decades of violence and repression of free speech, limitations on travel, the ability to move freely around his country or outside of his country, repression in free press. He was imprisoned multiple times, once for a four-year period in his home country, and he was under government surveillance his whole life, pretty much, just for organizing people to speak their voices and for speaking his own. Václav Havel's writings are pretty legendary, but he has this one short piece he wrote that's just called Hope. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Hope is a state of mind, not a state of the world. Either we have hope within us or we don't. Hope is not prognostication. It's an orientation of the spirit. You can't delegate that to anybody else. Hope in this deep and powerful sense is not the same as joy when things are going well or the willingness to invest in enterprises that are obviously headed for early success, but rather an ability to work for something to succeed. Hope is definitely not the same as optimism. It's not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. That last part is the one that kind of punches me in the gut a little bit. That's the scary stuff, right? That's hard to hear. Regardless of how it turns out. Hope is an orientation of the spirit that doesn't come with any guarantees. It doesn't come from looking at what's outside and making a good prognostication of the results. It comes from what we have in here inside. Here at Wellsprings, we have a list. It's on the back table if you ever want to see it or take a copy home of what we call our core values and beliefs. Seven core values and six core beliefs that we try to live and express as a community. And I will confess to you I have a favorite. I'm not sure I'm supposed to have a favorite, but I have a favorite. It's the last one and that core values column that says living with integrity. And next to living with integrity, it says, we are a community of deep listening 
possessing the humility and the vulnerability necessary to make positive change. We honestly evaluate where we are in the hope of courageously going where we are called to be. I never noticed that the word hope was in there until this week when I wanted to preach about hope and look to see if it was in our core values and beliefs. (laughs) And lo and behold, it was in my favorite one, right? But I just kind of glossed over that. I didn't really think about how important that word hope is in that sentence because that sentence could say something else, right? It could say we honestly evaluate where we are so we can plan for where we're going. It could say we honestly evaluate where we are so that we can find the best look on the bright side interpretation of where we are, right? It could be like this guy here. Anybody know Monty Python? Yeah. It could be that. It's not. It says we honestly evaluate where we are in the hope of courageously going where we are called to be. This is not about sketching out our likelihood of success. This is about taking a good hard look at where we are and then where we're called and actually trusting our hope to take us from point A to point B. Damn. (laughs) Who said you use aren't a faithful people, right? Now, we often don't work like this day to day. We prefer to play the odds because that's a lot less scary. That's a lot more comforting. Many of us do this. The odds say things like, my first business will almost certainly fail, so it's probably not a good idea to try. I'll just keep my stable job. The odds say things like, you know, I'm unhappy, but this relationship is probably the best I can hope for at my age. The odds say, if we speak up about what we see happening at work, nothing's really going to change, so why bother? The odds say things like if we put our kids in good schools in a community where people all seem to kind of have their act together, right? One of my friends used to say, have their poop in a group, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, get it? Everything will be all right. That's all about interpreting the data out there. That's different than what our hopes might say. Our hopes might say, I have an idea I want to try. Our hopes might say, my relationships can be different in a way that will be better for me and my heart. Our hopes say things like, somebody might listen to the squeaky wheel and be inspired to change. They won't hear it if it doesn't squeak. Our hopes say, if we raise our kids in an environment where people can actually be honest that things are not always all right, then maybe they'll be healthy and resilient. And of course, when we feel that tug to trust our hopes, we run smack dab into what Václav Havel says. This is not an enterprise obviously headed for success. We cannot be convinced that this will turn out well. But we can do it with integrity. And because of that, The reason that's written into our core values as a community, we know that when we act with integrity, we get to be connected to that deeper source, 
to that greater source of energy that is so much bigger than ourselves alone. I want to share a story with you about this man right here. He is a Baptist pastor in Dallas named the Reverend George Mason. George Mason leads a church that's a little different than this one in a couple ways. We don't quite have a a chancel that looks just like that. He has about a thousand members in his congregation. And his congregation made the news last month. They're in the Washington Post because they are getting kicked out of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, which is affiliated with the larger Southern Baptist Convention. And they're getting kicked out because Reverend Mason asked his thousand-member congregation to vote on a question that had been posed to him by a young man in their community. This young man showed up in Reverend Mason's office one day and said, Reverend Mason, do you remember my parents' wedding? I wasn't there. Will you tell me about it? And Reverend Mason told him the story of this wedding that he'd performed decades before for two pillars of their congregation's community. He said he estimated maybe 800, 850 people were at this wedding. That's an expensive wedding. (laughs) Most of their community and congregation came out for this wedding, and it was such a treasure, he said, to perform that ceremony earlier in his ministry career And then see that family continue to be a part of their community, to see them start their family, to see people like this young man be born and grow up within their community. It was a great day. And the young man asked, so if I grow up and I want to marry my boyfriend one day, will you bless our marriage in this church? And Reverend Mason realized that he instantly knew the answer to that question, and it was completely different than the answer he was supposed to give. It was completely different than the answer he would have told you he would have given if you asked him 37 years ago when he started serving that congregation what his answer would be. But he knew that only one answer had integrity for him, which was, yes, of course, Of course I would bless and officiate the marriage of you, young man, and the man you love. And so he decided to put this to a vote in his congregation. He decided to ask them whether or not they would follow what he knew to be true in his own heart. I think some of us forget sometimes in this Unitarian Universalist world that we live in, that this is not a settled issue in a lot of places in our country. This is really not a given what way such things are going to go. We forget sometimes that the other side of the issue is also not a monolith. There are Reverend Masons on the other side. There are people who move and change and grow over time out there as well. And I was drawn into the story by that brave and beautiful headline in the Washington Post, right? Church in Dallas votes to affirm gay marriage. They're getting kicked out of their denomination as a result. 
But buried a couple paragraphs down is this story about the vote in the church. What do you think the vote was? Overwhelming? 100%? Unanimous? It was 577 for allowing gay marriage and 367 against I got to tell you, I know where I stand on this issue, but as a pastor, I'm like, don't do it, man. (laughs) That is not a clear consensus. That is a divided group of people. That is threatening to your church community. There will be consequences to that choice that are going to be very real. I'm sure some of those 367 people will leave that church. I bet their budget will need to be slashed. People might lose their jobs. Relationships will be challenged, if not broken completely. This is not the easy or promising choice for this church. This does not have a good prognostication for them, at least not in the short term. But what's funny is that I didn't actually go searching for this story. I learned it all after reading a quote by Reverend Mason in one of the daily emails I get that had nothing to do with this controversy. It was a quote about the Advent season, about hope. Reverend Mason said, just like Advent and the coming of the baby Jesus himself, hope is not something that we conjure up ourselves by wishful thinking. It's not something that we work at by focusing on the positive or avoiding the negative. He says it doesn't spring from optimism that the world will get better by human effort. He says it's rooted in the promise of God's faithfulness. Only because God comes to us can we have hope that we can go to God. What I hear there is that there's a connection between ourselves and God or the spirit, the higher power, the universe, whatever you call it. And it's there always. Whether or not we make a mistake, whether or not we have made the right choice, whether or not we've tried our hardest, That's what makes it greater or higher or unfathomable is that it's always there even when we don't deserve it. Even when we're mad at ourselves or we're not sure that it's really going to work. That hope comes back to us. It's a gift. It's given to us. And just like any gift, We'll never experience it unless we are willing to receive it. Unless we open our hands and our hearts and allow ourselves not just to receive it, but really to long for it. To keep our eyes open and our hands open, looking for hope. To not feel ashamed or embarrassed because we want it not feel foolish just because we know it may not show up the way we expect. But to trust that it will show up. To want it to show up. 
which is its own way of trusting that it will eventually be there. I am still learning the habits of hope, for sure. They still do not come easily to me. But sometimes I get a little glimmer that maybe I'm growing in this regard. And I got one of those this past summer. I bought a little plant, a little peppermint plant. It was really cute and healthy and happy. And I'm an extrovert and a dog person who lives by myself in an apartment where my lease says I can't get a dog. So my plants are kind of like, make fun of me if you want, right? But my plants are kind of like my pets. I talk to them sometimes. I don't know why I'm telling you this. But I got this little peppermint plant, and it was really adorable, and it smelled so good. And I took it home from the nursery, and I repotted it in a beautiful little clay pot. And last summer, I went on a trip for the other job that I had last summer, and I was gone for three days. And I left it outside in 96-degree weather in full sun, and I came home, and my little plant looked like this. Dead. Just dead. Ignore that little green shoot on the left. That is a spoiler alert for how this story is going to go. But trust me, when I got home, I didn't take any pictures of it because it was dead, okay? (laughs) Burnt to a crisp. But I didn't want it to be dead. I just didn't. Seriously, that was the only thing pulling me towards doing anything else besides throwing it in the trash like a totally unreasonable, emotional little toddler. I just didn't want it to be dead. And so I decided, okay, even though there are no guarantees at all that I can bring this plant back to life, I will water it. It will be worth my extra energy even if it doesn't work out. So I watered it a lot. (laughs) I kept it inside. And, you know, I had these thoughts the whole time I was trying to bring it back to life. I realized, I saw what keeps me, I think, from my hope. Because I would think to myself, you know, if this dies, I'm going to feel so stupid. I'm going to feel so foolish. And I saw how unkind we can be to ourselves. When we follow our longings and we know that they may not work out, Somehow this glimmer of hope in me had grown just enough to hold space around this little plant. That I knew that even in the worst case scenario, it was worth it for me to follow that hope and follow that longing. That maybe I wouldn't be so mean to myself if it didn't work out. I think that was what kept me going. And so after a few days of water and tender care, it looked more like this pretty good. And then I had to go away again on another trip. (laughs) And it was longer. It was like a whole week away. And I thought, this is very risky because it is in a delicate place right now. And there's going to be no one to water it and take care of it. So I said a little prayer around my plant and I poured it full of water right before I left. And I kept it inside but next to a window so that it could at least, at least get some light while I was gone. And when I came back, I found this. Even though I thought I screwed it all up, this little guy really wanted to live. Leaning 
physically in towards that light. You know, whether it was likely or not and whether it works or not, I think our longing is the best thing to connect us back to that source. Could have been a cloudy week. Could have not worked out. But that longing for the light is what kept the plant going. May it keep us all going, regardless. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, on this cloudy morning, help us lean towards what we know is good for us. Help us lean in towards all that nourishes our bodies and our souls. Help us remember that this is not foolish or silly or indulgent, but that when we fill up, we can overflow all of those good things in our lives out to each other. That we can overflow more than we pour out, even in a world that asks us to pour out so much. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. Help us lean towards these things that are good and true that we long for. For these prayers that I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each one of these people carries on their hearts today. We say amen.